Speaking about New Year's resolutions, do you know uh, what the top 10 New Year's resolutions are, the most popular, the most common? Perhaps some of these you have made yourself or are trying to keep uh, this year. Does anybody know? Lose weight? <laughs> okay. Um, so, we're actually going to count down the top 10 New Year's resolutions. And uh, I want you to nod if you think, oh, yes, I've heard that or that sounds good. But don't point fingers like they need to do that, okay? <laughs> do not point fingers. Just say yes. Okay, top 10. Number 10, we're going from 10 to 1. Number 10, spend more time with your family. Okay, amen will work. That's fine. Uh, number 9, this year, 2012, we hope to fall in love. Amen. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> Number eight. Finally, finally, you get to help others. Mm, something to think about. Number seven. Top seven. Uh, top ten. Number seven. To quit smoking. Quit smoking. That's a very popular one uh, in the community. Uh, number six. To learn a new language. Learn a new language. I've been working on my Portuguese this week. It's fabulous. So if the Portuguese sleeps out, I'm sorry. Uh, number five, uh, <clears throat> to stay fit. Stay fit. Now that's a tricky one because in order to stay fit. <laughs> number four, number four, spend less and save more. Spend less and save more. Uh, for women, it's to spend less. For men, it's to save more. Number three, for both of them, get out of debt. Get out of debt. I don't know how, but get out. <laughs> Number two, get organized. Get organized. In your car, in the garage, <laughs> in your bedroom. Get organized. And the number one, top ten, number one New Year's resolution is? To lose weight. To lose weight. That's right. You know this is a North American list because... People all over the world actually need to gain weight. But anyway, we digress. Lose weight. Now, maybe you've made your own New Year's resolutions. Maybe you've got 10. Maybe you've got three. Maybe you've got two. Maybe some of these are on your list. But perhaps you've given some thought as to starting something new, New Year. The beginning of the cycle gives us an opportunity that maybe, just maybe, perhaps, this could be the year that we actually make it happen. 2012, your year. And as you think about that, as you look forward, as you consider what this new year holds for you, what great adventures you might embark on, what new things you're going to experience, I want to add another resolution to your list. In fact, I want to challenge you with one more New Year's resolution. Please open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. If you didn't bring a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you. We are in 2 Corinthians, New Testament. Uh, and I want to challenge you to consider adding this New Year's resolution to your list. It could be number 11, it could be number 1, but I want you to be challenged by adding this resolution to your list. Please open your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. We are in chapter 5. The book of 2 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul as he was writing a letter to the church at Corinth. It was a church that he had helped establish 
uh, in a non-Jewish community. So these were people uh, that were not familiar with uh, the ways of God, the ancient history that God had with the people of Israel. And they were beginning to learn about who God was and how to interact with him and what God wants from us. And after starting the church, Paul then goes on his journey and periodically he will send back messages to encourage the people. The book of 2 Corinthians uh, is one of these letters written to the church of Corinth. But just follow along with me, please, if you will. Chapter 5, verse 11. I need you to hold on tight. Some of this may not make sense initially, but hang in there. Chapter 5, verse 11. Paul says, Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. Our job is to try to persuade men. Who we are and what we are is plain to God, and I hope that it is plain for you to see also in your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Now, maybe none of that made sense. So let me just break it down just for a little bit. Paul is trying to introduce a concept to the people, which I will challenge you with as well. And as he's introducing this concept, the people that are listening are saying, but that doesn't make any sense. And Paul says, if it sounds like we're out of our minds, we're only doing this because God calls us to. But if it makes sense, that means this message is for you. Okay? If, it's, if we sound like we're out of our mind, it's because God asks us to, to challenge the way you think, to challenge the way the people act. But if it's starting to make sense, that means it's because God is zeroing in on you. Okay? So if I sound like I'm out of my mind, well, that's just probably me. But Paul says, pay close attention to what I'm about to say. For Christ's love, verse 14, compels us compels us, it moves us, it forces us, it nudges us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul says, Christ's love compels us to understand that he, that's Christ, gave his life for all. And that all should now not live for themselves, but instead live for him. That's a Christian message. Jesus Christ gave his life for us to pay a ransom, a price for our lives. And now our lives do not belong to ourselves. Paul says our lives belong to him. Christ's love compels us. Those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. Here's the kicker. Verse 16. So from now on, have you heard this before? So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this same way, we don't do it anymore. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Have you ever heard that before? It's a very popular verse. People like to read it, repeat it. But let's take a closer look. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. The old is gone. The new has come. I grew up in church. I heard this verse a lot. But it was mostly when people were shaking their fingers at me. I grew up a pastor's kid and uh, got the criticism and got the, you know, he shouldn't be doing that. Um, and, and, and oftentimes they would quote this verse and they would say, you must not be a real Christian. 
Because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And, and people read this verse to me as a way to shame me into thinking that I had not fully accepted Jesus Christ. And that somehow, although everyone else was receiving the grace of Christ, I had missed out because I had not become completely new. And do you know what that feels like? Has anyone ever done that to you? Do you know what it feels like to try to change something about yourself, maybe the debt part or the weight, and not succeed? Do you know what it feels like to have a New Year's resolution, get off on the right foot, maybe last Saturday night, you said, okay, this was my last cookie and I'm off the sweets. But Monday morning rolls around, it's 10 o'clock, you're at work, stomach is grumbling, you open the door and, oh, Oreos. (laughs) And then you think to yourself, no, this is my year. I'm the new me, 2012 version of me. I'm going to stick to it. You shut the door, feel real good about yourself. Then lunch comes, you're busy at work, you can't get out. For some reason, you got so much to do. Lunch passes, you're back at work. Now it's 3 o'clock, and it's grumbling time. And you open that drawer, and it's like there's light in there. Ah. <laughs> Aurea. It's whispering your name. And you say, just one. I didn't eat lunch, so it's okay. But the moment you bite into that crunchy, sweet, Creamy filling. You're thinking about it now. I can see you. (laughs) It feels so good. Mm. And the second it goes down, then comes all the guilt and all the shame. You broke your New Year's resolution. You wanted to so bad. You tried. You held on. But you didn't succeed. So now what? At just the appropriate time, comes by your co-worker and says... New Year's resolution, huh? (laughs) You want nobody to know, but you know, and you feel bad. Have you ever tried changing something about yourself or tried to become something and fail? Oftentimes when we think about Christianity, that's the way we approach it. We think that now that I've accepted Jesus Christ, my sole task is to New Year's resolute myself into Christianity, that I can now work harder and harder and become the true Christian that, that I'm supposed to be. And, and while some of that is true, you will also find from time to time that you will make mistakes, that you will maybe sometimes on purpose, maybe sometimes just because fail in your task to be more patient and your task to abstain from certain foods, and your task to hold your tongue or your temper, or any other thing that you think needs to be changed about yourself. And oftentimes, we in the church have contributed to simply making you feel guilty or shameful, as if you don't deserve God's grace, as if unless you become completely new and a new creation, somehow you haven't made it. But I want you to take a closer look at what Paul is actually saying. Paul says, from verse 16, from now on, 
We regard no one. That means we don't look at anyone from the worldly point of view. From now on, we are not going to look at other people the same way we used to. He says, at one point, we used to look at Christ differently, but now we've changed our mind. He says, so therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is, all this is from God who reconciled himself to us through Christ Jesus and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and he has given us the message. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God was making this appeal through us. Now, maybe you didn't catch that, but this is what Paul is saying. Because God's love compels us, because we believe that he died for all, and that now all of us, those of us who accept Jesus Christ, no longer live for ourselves, Our new resolution is to look at people the same way that God looks at us. So from now on, he says, we will not look at each other that way. You know that way. He says, from now on, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone says, I believe in Jesus, then I will look at him with new eyes. The old is gone. The new has come. That's the ministry of reconciliation. He says that's what Jesus does. He loves us not counting our sins against us. Did you catch that? He says that's the ministry of reconciliation. That's what God does. He brings us back together with him. How? Not because we are good enough to be with him, but because he doesn't count our sins against us. Reconciliation is bringing things that are broken back together. Reconciliation is overcoming the thing that has separated us. The ministry of reconciliation of Jesus Christ is that while we walked away from God, while we sinned and moved away from God, God sent his son to pay the price to fix what was broken. It wasn't that God said, come back, and we said, all right, let me get myself together. Let me change my habits. Let me make myself perfect, and now I am worthy and deserving of being in the presence of God. And God says, okay, now we can be together. That's not how it works. The message of God, the true message of God, is that while we were still sinners, he sent his son. That's how reconciliation occurs. Let me give you another example. You get in a fight with your wife. Who's right? She is, of course. We all know that. But for a while, you're trying to decide who has right. You think you're right, you think she's right, and it's a stalemate. Never happens to me, but anyway, um, it's a stalemate. Who's going to give in? While you hold on to your position, while she holds on to hers, there can be no reconciliation. At some point in the story, at some point, somebody has to decide that being together is better than being right. And that person says, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? It doesn't matter. Reconciliation is overcoming whatever it is. And the person that is receiving the apology must also extend forgiveness. That person, your wife, doesn't reconcile with you. She says, that's right. You knew I was right. (laughs) That doesn't bring reconciliation. That just ignores the problem. Someone has to apologize And someone has to forgive. Amen? 
And it's that reconciliation when you, when, when, when you go beyond what actually happens, when you go beyond what's actually broken things that brings people back together. And so it is with God, for we walked away, but we cannot, we cannot bring ourselves back to the glory of God. Paul says, Romans, for all have sinned, all, that includes me, and fall short of the glory of God. And what we deserve, Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is to be separated from God permanently. But God said, I don't want that to happen. I will send my son to pay that price. And if you want to, you can accept it on your behalf. So Paul says, if we accept that gift for ourselves, now our purpose is to extend the gift. Do you see that? Paul says, for that's the ministry of reconciliation that God gave through Jesus Christ. And he says, and now it's as if he has committed to us this message as though we were ambassadors on Christ's behalf. For now that I understand that God has loved me, so now I'm going to love you in the same way. Why is this important? I'm going to tell you why. Because oftentimes as Christians, we, we know we need to be forgiven and we receive God's grace and forgiveness, but then we turn around and we refuse to extend it to anybody else. We say, I know I'm not perfect and I'm glad God doesn't need me to be perfect. So thank you, Jesus. But then we'll look around and we'll say, but you on the other hand, <laughs> you need to get in shape. You need to get out of debt. You need to be a better parent. You need to get your act together. You got to be more spiritual. You got to show up to church on time. We want to receive God's grace but we refuse to give it. And Paul says, New Year's resolution, we need a church. God's love compels us. If we receive, if he died for us, and now my life is no longer my own. I know this sounds crazy, but if we receive God's grace, and now my life is not my own, from now on, I will regard you with new eyes. I'm not going to judge you and look at you for who you are. I'm going to look at you the same way that God does. Because when God looks at you, he looks forward. God sees who you are, but he loves you for, you can, for whom you can become. God accepts you as you are, but he loves you for the promise that lies in you. God looks forward and that's where the transformational power comes from you will never be able to change somebody by waiting on them to change trust me i've been married over 10 years and some of you married longer you can keep waiting all you want they're not going to change while you asking forcing them to change the only way you affect people is when you love them no matter what the only way you affect people is when you love them despite their shortcomings. That's what makes people feel finally loved, accepted, and free to let go. Free to forgive. Free to release. Free to take on new challenges. Free to finally love you back. And Paul says, from now on, that is our job. Though once 
We used to look at people, even Jesus Christ, and judge Him for how... Whoa. Pay attention now. We used to judge people for how we thought they should be. They looked at Jesus, you know this from the story, and they would say, Jesus is a poor, a poor example of a believer. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He goes out to eat on Sabbaths. He heals people. He works on the Sabbath. They would look at Jesus with these judging eyes. And Paul says, that's how we used to do it. But from now on, we understand that that is not at the heart of God. At the heart of God is the ministry of reconciliation. Of bringing things back together, no matter what has happened before. So I want to add a new resolution to your list. That somehow, this year as you have been blessed by God's grace, as you are learning to see God face to face and see that sense of love that he has for you, that you might then extend that same love forward to somebody else, to other people. That when you look at your wife or your kids or your co-workers or the people here in the church, that you don't look at them and measure their shortcomings and all the things that they've done wrong. But instead, what you see is a new creation is a new creation. Instead, when you look at somebody, look at their potential. Look at what they could do if you would love and support them. Look at how much they could accomplish if they just had your encouragement. Look at what you can do if you truly love them. Jesus says, a new command I give you, as I have loved you, so now you love one another. He calls that the ministry of reconciliation. Why? Because nobody deserves that. And love can never be demanded. It can only be given. Paul says from now on, from now on, we will not look at you and each other from that point of view. From now on, if anyone is in Christ, they accept that Jesus Christ, if they want to, even if they haven't yet Changed. But if they just want to, if they say, I believe in Jesus and I want his help, I will look at him as a new creation. Old is gone. The new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us. We weren't perfect, still aren't, but he reconciled us through Christ Jesus and gave us that ministry. God was reconciling the entire world to himself and he has committed to us that ministry to not count men's sins against them, but instead as if we were ambassadors of Christ to make this appeal, be reconciled to God. God made him, Jesus Christ, who had no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that through him we might become the righteousness of God. What about that, church family? What about a resolution that we would be a community of reconciliation? That we would be a community that learns to forgive And maybe even apologize. That we would be a community where we don't demand to be right, but instead express love freely. That we would be a community who is about bringing things back together. Sons and fathers. Daughters and mothers. Husbands and... So from now on, from now on, let's resolve to be ambassador for Christ in this ministry. 
the ministry of reconciliation.